back to Rupture Radio. This week I'm joined by People Before Profit rep for Dublin Northwest, Connor Reddy, to discuss the recent anti-refugee protests which have taken place across the country. This is obviously a very concerning development for many reasons, but I would just like to highlight the many community groups which have formed to counter the misinformation going around and those peddling it. While the sights at some of these protests are hard to take, the best way to break through that sinking feeling is to get active and out-talking to the many, many people who aren't interested in pointing the finger at refugees and migrants for the failures of the system. You can find links to these groups in the episode description. I'll swap over to the interview with Connor now. All right, I'm joined on the line by People Before Profit rep for Dublin Northwest, Connor Reddy. Welcome, Connor. Good to be back. So today we're going to be speaking about the recent anti-refugee protests which took place um, over the last couple of weeks. Nearly all of our listeners will be aware of these protests against refugees and asylum seekers and outside of refugee centres and the fact that they took place in a handful of working class communities, Ballymun, East Wall, um, Clondalkin. So to begin with, we might just start by giving a background to the protests in your own area. In other places, there was an initial decision to establish a refugee centre, um, normally with kind of limited consultation with local councillors, um, followed then by a barrage of misinformation about what this represented, who was moving in, what the nature of this was. Um, so just to get a, a broad outline of your own area, how did things play out in Ballymun? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I might actually, to answer that, just go back a little bit. Um, like Obviously, this isn't anything new. Uh, we've seen... Uh, far-right protests directed at direct provision centres for quite a while um, in different parts of the country. Interestingly, not so much focused on the cities, but on rural direct provision centres and places like Donegal and Roscommon and uh, other counties too. Um, I think, yeah, uh, more recently, in a more recent wave, I think the far-right are trying to have a bit of a moment. Um, And maybe back in September or October, uh, there were a series of protests in, again, Dublin Northwest, my area, uh, focused on a, a reception centre in uh, Finglas. So this is in, it's an absolutely horrific place, actually. Um, it was an old bargain town. It's a big drafty warehouse where they put up partitions between like these small cubes where they had uh, mostly men staying. Um, and at the time, we're kind of seeing, people are aware, I'm sure, of the uh, myth and the fear mongering around uh, unvetted military age men. That was very much a narrative then. Uh, fear mongering around men uh coming into the community uh was actually in that center i think mostly men at the time uh but it whipped up quite a lot of anger and we got a, a glimpse of kind of what we've seen in several different areas now since east wall uh just before christmas and unfortunately uh the far right were successful in that instance uh they whipped up so much anger they got some local residents associations and different kind of reputable i guess community groups uh, on board and community people on board uh, and had protests or windows broken and within a couple of days um i think i passed pulled people from that center and moved them out so they're a little bit emboldened by that i think and uh, in some ways i think it inspired uh the, the strategy that we're seeing now of uh folks anger on centers that are new 
the context of all of this, of course, is um, Ukrainian uh, refugees have come to the country in, uh, in large numbers. And I guess that's placed an additional strain on the, the uh, centres that did exist prior to the war in Ukraine. Uh, so it's meant that people that are applying for international protection otherwise uh, have to be accommodated in other places. So sometimes it's office blocks like we've seen in East Wall uh, or it's uh, places like we've seen in Ballymun. So to me, there's two places in Ballymun have been occupied since well, kind of just before Christmas. Um, one, uh, former student accommodation. The other, uh, the Travel Lodge Hotel, which um, some people might have seen back last year uh, I was involved in a fight at the same hotel uh, where homeless women were being kicked out by the council with uh, two days notice of their uh, emergency accommodation so uh, this we thought uh, before Christmas would uh, kick off we thought it would be uh, a lightning rod for the far right we knew there would be trouble uh, because the National Party in particular have made uh, attempts uh, to, to, to kind of rally around this stuff before didn't happen didn't happen before Christmas so I think yeah about <clears throat> two weeks gone out there was a real push to whip up anger and fear in a similar way to what we've seen in East Wall around military-aged men and some other things. Uh, in Ballymun, there was leaflets that went around houses to where whispers had uh, to certain people in the community who might have been uh, vocal on this stuff before. And uh, I think, yeah, this tapped into certain anger and frustration that exists uh, in the area, frustration that I think uh, in a large part is legitimate, like Ballymun is one of the most deprived communities in the country and has been for uh, decades. Um, there's the legacy of the regeneration project, which completely failed the people of Ballymun. Um, you have a really dire housing situation, uh, concentration of homelessness. I think I remember hearing uh, one in five homeless people in the Dublin region come from Ballymun, one community. Uh, so there's a lot of anger there legitimately. And I think they've been able to feed on this. They've been able to spread lies about the entitlements that uh, refugees have too. And yeah, we had our first protest there two weeks ago. Really ugly stuff since um, it looks at times. I've been at one of these uh, from a distance, of course. And like the atmosphere, it's like something out of Mississippi burning. Uh, so they're in three and there's a, a fourth plan for tomorrow. So that's where we're at, I think. And I think it's fairly grim. I had come in contact with a few of the things that had been swirling around online. The idea that, you know, these people were having been kitted out in nice rooms with flat screen TVs and comfortable uh, living spaces. But that's clearly not the the reality. I mean, these are horrific places to be crammed into with a load of strangers after you and your family may have traveled, um, you know, thousands of miles over borders um looking for refuge in in awful situations not just in ukraine but in in many other countries i think so that's another thing that has been used people are saying oh well we were expecting ukrainians but these people aren't ukrainian but that like it's always been um a reality that we provide refuge for people across the world facing many different situations and most people are aware of the tough circumstances yeah. across uh, uh, um yeah absolutely like it's it's our obligation yeah. in a double sense in a formal legal sense under international law like we're obliged to take people who apply for asylum but in a, a second sense a second more moral and historical sense i think we also have a legacy of having to move around the world uh going back to uh, the 19th century obviously have uh, the famine which forced uh hundreds of thousands of people uh, off our shores but more recently you have economic migration from ireland the desperation uh that was that exists in the state and also i guess the repressive atmosphere the church forced people abroad so i i think uh, that that history is there and we're doubly obliged uh, to, to be accommodating and welcoming. And of course, most people are, it has to be said too. 
And I think there's been a good job so far in pointing out that the Irish are no strangers to discrimination in terms of our history of migration. I've seen good posts highlighting, you know, the, the very common uh, signposts that you would have seen of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, or just generally how Irish people are treated, be it in um, in Britain or abroad, um, you know, often used for the most grueling of labour in, in construction sites and, and, and um, treated with the same Look, media. just on that, that, like strategically when we've seen this first, um, before there was a Ballymun for all or any action on the ground, we knew that we had to counter some of the lies that were spreading. Uh, so one of this thing about military aged men and the fear of men, um, we decided we take the approach that we'd look at uh, the, the history of Irish migration, particularly to Britain, because there was a virulent anti-Irish sentiment that existed there in the kind of post-war era. So in the uh, 40s, 50s, um, or horrific things said and spread about, again, it was mostly male migrants. It was labourers, like you said, the most grueling types of labour. And some of the things that were spread uh, then about men being not being able to trust men, women or children, talking about the drunken, violent nature of the Irish, uh, like making us out to be animals. Uh, these are the exact, almost a carbon copy of the language that's been used by some of the more disgusting elements on the ground in Ballymun. So, yeah, I think that stuff has gone down well and it, it maybe bodes uh, and people have done in their own way um, uh, work to, to, to recall that history and remind people of it. Yeah, before we move off, I was reading earlier um, some of the leaflets that PBP have put out, but also that some of the For All groups, Taller For All locally, for myself, um, have put out, taken up some of these ideas. And one of the big things that goes around or that you hear is that, oh, these people are unvetted, which is like on the face of it, a fairly ridiculous idea, given how every asylum seeker goes through a rigorous process um, to even get into the country. It's not made easy in the slightest. You only have to look at people drowning in the Mediterranean trying to get into the EU. I mean, it's uh, it's laughable to the idea that these people are just um, walking through the door. And in contrast, nobody from the European Union, if I'm a German man and I want to move to Ireland, I just enter through the Schengen area. There's no issue with me getting through. It's it's very easy. And whatever your background is, it's just in this instance, they're trying to whip up some idea that these people represent more of a threat than, than anyone else coming into the yeah. country. It's I, uh, bizarre. I think I've been struck by the power of that narrative. Um, like it's it's really grabbed a hold of certain sections of the community in Ballymun. Uh, people that in some cases like have complex backgrounds themselves like there's uh, a guy I know he's black Irish and he's been on these protests and he talks about uh, unvetted uh, men and like men foreign men not having not sharing our values or respect for women be like it, it, it is an animating force and it's something that like we have had some success in pushing back uh, against particularly actually some of the body one they've talked directly to a team that I've seen it almost as their duty to protect women um, and of course there's all sorts of things and points you can c come back to that on but um, I think yeah it's been effective to actually uh, challenge just who, who, who people are in fact it's not all men first of all it, it, like despite popular uh, belief uh, but also the, the, the facts about how international protection works you come into Dublin airport or any other port uh, in the country uh, it's actually a really difficult process there's interviews uh, there's background checks if you're coming from a country where that's possible uh, they take your fingerprints obviously wherever you're moved there's a record of that 
uh, it's 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 really intrusive uh, 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 process, I'd say. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, we've been correcting uh, that record a little bit and other groups have been doing the same and making the broader points too, that like there's already uh, all sorts of, uh, most violence in our in, in communities all across Ireland, Ireland against women uh, is committed by people known to those women. Um, and it's actually compounded by the fact that the state hasn't provided the adequate resources like the uh, shelters and uh, supports for, uh, for, for for women in particular. Um, so, so like pointing that out, I think, has been effective in, in, in encountering this stuff. Yeah, and I mean, on the podcast here before, we've talked about the source of gender-based violence and opposing this. And in reality, most sexual and domestic violence comes from people that women already know and uh, that, that that doesn't discriminate on basis of race or background or ethnicity or uh, nationality. Um, it's just a, a reality that has a source outside of migration or, or who the person is, um, but is a, a social factor. You touched on earlier that all of this is taking place in the context of a housing crisis and struggles with cost of living, a healthcare system which is in tatters, and these pressures are felt most acutely by working class communities. And there is a genuine anger on these grounds with the political establishment, with the government, with a system that has failed them repeatedly uh, and left them in absolute destitution. Um, so what has the situation been in Ballymoon in regards to these issues and, and I guess more generally? Yeah, like I said in in the intro, Ballymun is one of the most deprived communities in the country and has been for a very long time. It's got a le- there's a legacy of neglect there that goes right back to its foundation in the sixties. Uh, if you look at some of the basic things that big communities or new areas need, like essential services, they weren't provided by the state when Ballymun was first built. And it was actually people in the community that went out and built these things themselves, like nurseries, uh, preschools, uh, clubs and uh, uh, sports facilities, all of this kind of DIY, done on a DIY basis in Ballymun. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, Ballymun suffered massively over the years because the state wasn't willing to provide what was necessary to keep that community alive. Um, today, I think uh, it's 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 an even more dire situation, kind of post Ballymun regeneration era. Uh, maybe when that regeneration happened, a billion and a half euro nearly went through the community, and there's absolutely no evidence of its presence in Ballymun ever, bar a couple of new uh, houses. The houses actually were built to very poor standard. So there's huge issues that people are having with mold, damp, uh, window frames rotting out of houses, that kind of thing, cold. Um, there's uh, the perennial kind of social problems of uh, unemployment locally too. There's not been enough uh, focus on creating like actual gainful employment opportunities in the community. And they did exist before the Ballymun of old. A lot of the community organisations that eventually did crop up provided employment and then that those centres were dismantled in the regeneration process. So created much deeper problems. There's a huge issue with drugs at the minute. Um, so there is, uh, I'd say, yeah, a, a lot of deprivation, but also despair. This is the reason why we haven't seen people fight back so far. A, a feeling of hopelessness uh, almost. Um, and that's, a, that's a, I think, to be understood. Like it's uh, been nearly what, six or seven years since communities like Ballymoan were mobilised in a meaningful way through the water charges campaign. Um, like the sense that I've been getting speaking to people uh, is that they feel um, they protest, uh, nothing will change. 
um, or that it's 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 too complicated. The system's too big uh, to challenge, and the the root cause of all these uh, issues is uh, too hard to take on at the minute. So that hopelessness is there. And I think in that context, it's very easy to look at something uh, within your own area, like a centre that refugees are accommodated in, and it's easy to venture frustrations at the at them. It's easy to um to to, to blame them. Um, I mean, there are uh, also some uh, probably legitimate concerns around resource in the area around these centres coming in. I think someone uh, pointed out to me it takes like seven days nearly to get a GP appointment in Ballymun. I think wherever these centres uh, uh, come up or are introduced, it needs to be from the state uh, a plan to adequately resource public services so that there isn't an additional strain, so that things don't get any worse. It has to be a win-win situation for the community. Um, and I think, yeah, that's something that, uh, that, that, that I'd criticise about the government response. But yeah, that atmosphere of desperation is out there and despair and hopelessness. Uh, and that's what the far right have, uh, uh, that's a substrate that the far right have uh, fed off, really. Yeah, I do think you touched on there the fact that this is something local to the community. It's easily identifiable. You can go to this place um, and, and you know, direct your anger at it. It has a similar character in, in my mind to with the water charges. You had people coming in, trying to put water meters in. There was a local action that people could rally around. Unfortunately, in this instance, people are rallying around something that isn't the actual source of their uh, issues. As you said, there's been years of neglect. And even though there's clearly a lot of anger out there. Um, I think people should be directing this uh, the correct source. It's not that the government doesn't have an identifiable face. Like People are aware of where this issue is coming from, but I guess they're just feeling a lack of direction or uh, a lack of, of an ability to lash out at that. So then, since these protests, you've been out in the community, as you mentioned, chatting with people. You were doing so with your local PVP branch, but also with the, the Ballymun for All group. Um, how has the response been to these um, protests? How have you felt people are, are coming around on them yeah look um a couple of thoughts i mean right now i'm more hopeful than i was maybe last week last week when i was watching the kind of scenes unfold uh, i think it was a sunday protest last week in particular that got really ugly where uh, people were right up against the windows of the hotel where there are kids and families accommodated and the next day we seen in the Irish Times a story of that six-year-old girl who was afraid of afraid for her life like genuinely afraid for her life um, I they, they were incredibly ugly scenes. Um, we've been out now with P PVP, not with Ballymun for All. We've yet to actually do physical, real-world stuff as a coalition, although individual groups have done stuff. Um, and I think, yeah, uh, there's uh, it, it's been a largely positive response kind of from the moment that we first published our statement. We've been very clear that these protests represent a minority of the community. I think at their biggest, as maybe... 300 people on the protest. Ballymun has 25,000 people now, I think, depending on where you draw the line of what Ballymun is and isn't. Um, so it, it's a small minority. There's a large number of outside actors, people coming in, the usual kind of travelling circus of the far right that are really focused their energy on Ballymun. Like uh, we had uh, Justin Barrett there, Philip uh, Dwyer's been in, the Irish Freedom Party have been there. Like all of the uh, figures, all the worst fucking scum have been into the, the area and have really focused attention on it. So it, it's a small number of people for a start. And I think that's been reflected on the doors. Most people that we speak to 
uh, are disgusted now uh, by what's what's happening. They're disgusted by the story that a uh, young girl of the families being scared. Uh, and they're also uh, very concerned at the image that's uh, getting out there about Ballymun. Like Ballymun's no stranger to demonization and to uh, all sorts of mistruths being told about it over the years. Um, Ballymun's uh, probably genuinely uh, being involved in different things there over the years. Uh, I think a community like no other, because of its history, um, it, it, you could genuinely apply that label of community to it in a way you probably couldn't to a lot of other places uh, in, in in Dublin now. Um, so, yeah, they've been concerned about how this reflects on Ballymun as a whole. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the few doors that you get, the one out of ten or whatever, that have uh, some type of negative opinion on the whole thing, um, they're not hardened racists by and large. Um, I don't think we the other night we were canvas, and I don't think we met a, a single person on a door who had hardened far right ideas. It was mostly this stuff, frustration, people in their families maybe being homeless themselves, maybe having issues of housing or their own council tenancies, uh, issues around services and stuff like that. Uh, and there were one or two who had those concerns about military age men, which we were able to push back against. Um, I think, yeah, one thing I would share, she had one guy who was really angry um, and he was on the street. He was shouting and screaming at us from the moment we stepped onto his road. Uh, and for a while, I thought with Gaheri, I thought like we were going to be attacked. And of course, this stuff does happen. It nearly happened in Clindalkin the other day uh, when there was a counter protest. Uh, and it did happen in Drimnet where someone in a car attacked a, a people before profit canvas. Um yeah, we were able to, uh, I went over and I had a, a chat with this guy, tried to de-escalate things a little bit. When I got talking to him, uh, I heard he'd been homeless for four years. He hadn't been able to live at home. He's living in a tent just outside Ballymun for uh, the last year. Uh, obviously, bitter cold at the minute. He's sleeping in that. Um, he's watched uh, as like uh, council-owned houses all over Ballymun have been left all into disrepair and uh, and dereliction. Um, he's uh, understands when you actually challenge him on it that uh, it is the government that are at the heart of all of this, the government parties. Um, and I, I think yeah, we, we although there was a, a, an inflection of sort of racism there and an influence of the far right. Um, when we got talking to him, we were able to get through. We did reach a, a point of common ground. So I think that uh, is hopeful. Uh, and it shows that even when you are confronted with some really angry people, you can push back. When they're not hardened people on the far right, you can win people back. Uh, people have all sorts of mixed ideas in their head. Sometimes they can be racist and regressive, but at the same time, they can hold quite progressive opinions. And we got talking to him about like a, a, the idea of opening up vacant properties and derelict properties in the area. Uh, he was all for that. And I think that's something that we will look into uh, as a, a form of direct action that maybe comes from the community, from groups like Katu who we'll probably reach out to and other community activists that we know through various things. So I think it's important important that we give another channel, uh, another uh, place for people to vent their anger in a more productive way, a uh, more progressive way too. So yeah, that's been the general picture. Yeah, I think creating a, a counterweight in that form is, is very important. Um, it's clear that people have been looking for an outlet for this anger and it's just unfortunate that the like kind of malicious actors have picked up on it. And I think 
we've touched on this now through the conversation, one of the most concerning aspects, which is the involvement of far-right activists seeking to spread misinformation and to harden racist and reactionary elements. You touched on a few of the characters that have cropped up in Ballymun. It's interesting because none of these people have been on any of the housing protests, any of the cost of living protests. They've no involvement in any of these uh, actions that we've had over the last couple of months trying to build up a fight back. But now, as soon as it crops up in a way that they feel that they can weaponize, they're, they're there with their cameras and their fucking... Uh, GoPros on, but um, yeah, we could have a, a whole discussion of how to counter these types, and I think it's there's a clear need to root these people out of these communities, um, because they only want to sow division and distract from the failures of the government, who, which often doesn't even feature in their messaging. I might go further than that. Actually, I think they're deliberately trying to like incite violence at the minute. One of the most shocking things that I heard in Ballymun the other day from someone who works in the communities, uh, uh, I think a youth worker, uh, was that the National Party had been around talking to uh, local kids, local lads and uh, the protests have actually been very young that's one of the striking things about them uh, it's lads dipping around on like electric scooters and bikes uh, people that like probably don't have uh, a, a developed sense of what's going on or like a, a, a political conviction behind their, their, their attendance or their being there um, they, they were being incited by a guy from the National Party, apparently, this is the report that I heard, to come out and to bring things like fireworks and to cause trouble. And the way that was Sultan was, oh, you'll have a good buzz, you'll come out, you'll have a good buzz. So what they're talking about, what they're trying to incite right now is violence directed at the centres, directed at the refugees uh, and directed against the left as well, like we've seen in Drimna. So it is a really ugly, hairy situation. And I think the minute that this stuff happens, it needs to be pointed out. And maybe something that the uh, more liberal elements within these different coalitions have been resistant to do is it, it needs to be stamped on the foreheads of the far right. It needs, they need to be strongly identified as Nazis that want to drag us backwards into Catholic-dominated Ireland, an Ireland that is white, white only, uh, white ex- uh, in exclusion. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that 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 stuff is 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 going to happen if it's not seriously countered and confronted too. The actual positions that these people have, being against marriage equality or divorce even, um, or their aggressive views on women, are not popular in working class communities. Uh, working class communities had some of the highest turnouts in all these referendums, voting very progressively. And generally, when you talk to people, um, the ideas that put forward by the National Party, the Irish Freedom Party, the likes of Phil Dwyer, are completely alien to most people. And I think making that clear and, and identifying these people as such is, is really important. Well, also, I think one of the things that needs to be pointed out as a matter of priority is the fact that Justin Barrett and Herman Kelly uh, have both denied the uh, extent of child sexual abuse in the church. And uh, they, they had to have other horrific opinions on the treatment of women in modern baby homes and stuff like that. Uh, like when you have fear mongering by the far right centered on this idea of protecting women, uh, I think that needs to be singled out in particular, that these people deny that women were ever abused in a systematic way at massive scale by the by the church and by the state. Uh, Ballyfermot, where they're spreading uh, fear around uh, schools, so that men are coming into school and looking at pictures of children on the walls, like was a community that like was particularly badly hit by uh, sex, vile sex abuse by several different priests in the parish. Um, like the people that are fueling these protests and driving them forward are the people that are defending those priests that are defending those institutions um, and I think that that's something that decent working class people who are sometimes buying this stuff um, it, it's a point that we can win them away on I think uh, and one that needs to be singled out 
Something that you did touch on there, though, is that following these protests, we've had a number of community groups forming, which, um, while different in character and composition in different places, are all seeking to draw people together against the vision and the far right and to get out in communities talking to people. In my own area, we have Taller for All, um, which has been out a good few times, highlighting that the real source of the issues have, have come from all the usual sources, the political establishment and the government. So what do you make of these groups and, and how would you like to see them develop as time goes on and, and the different strategies that they can take up yeah well like like you said um these groups vary very dramatically um in their composition and in their their character across different areas so like tala for all seems great um it's uh people before profit Sinn Féin Lynn Ruan the Socialist Party Militant Left I think as well so like that is a that that that's a force that can speak to the frustrations that exist in Tala and around Tala. It can speak to working class anger and it can direct that in a progressive way. Um, coalitions in other areas, East Wall, I think, and also uh, Ballymun, um, involve in some cases government parties, and it makes the task a lot more difficult. It makes it much harder to uh, reach. Uh, people who are angry, it gives uh, maybe dilutes our message, our independent message uh, outside of those coalitions and, and our credibility uh, within them. We don't always have a say in how these coalitions are formed, obviously, but I think one of the things that's been encouraging lately, I've heard from a number of different uh, areas that like the left have taken the initiative to try form new coalitions at the exclusion of the government parties. I think that's a very important uh, strategy. It's something that we would have done uh, ourselves had we the uh, foresight or the kind of authority and embeddedness in the, the local area to do that. Um, in Ballymun, uh, our coalition actually came out of um, a statement that I thought, like on the face of it, if you read it, it's quite a good statement from the from the Lord Mayor uh, of, of Dublin City, who's a, a Green Party councillor. Um, but because it was a Green Party councillor and the Lord Mayor that, that founded it, uh, she had the, the say over who was invited. And I think it was only by uh, chance, I think it was uh, one of our councillors uh, that heard that this is happening. Uh, I got an invite. I wouldn't have gotten an invite otherwise. Um so, uh, yeah, Fianna Fáil are at the table. Fine Gael are signed on to the statement. Um, there's uh, the city council in the room. Um, the guards were at our last meeting. Um, so, yeah, that changes completely the dynamic of what you can do. Um, I thought it was funny there. I was at a meeting yesterday and the guards are there talking about safety. That's what they're asked to talk about. First thing the guard said, so he was very happy that there wasn't uh, a counter protest uh, being considered because mm-hmm. counter protests weren't effective. And at the end, he reiterated that point. He said counter protests aren't effective from a policing point of view. So he told us <laughs> exactly like what, like they're not, they are effective. They're An expert on effective. protest, the guards and how to disable them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, I think it's made it really difficult uh, in the local context. Like we've been quite lucky in that, like there is a consensus uh, among the different community organisations and stuff, and some great work being done. Uh, it's a consensus that we need to get out and uh, proactively counter the lies that the far right have been spreading. So within Ballymun for all, that's been led by uh, the schools have done a really good piece uh, within um, within themselves. Like so they're uh, talking to kids about what's going on and are you countering some of what they might be hearing and picking up. Uh, they've also directly engaged with people in the centre to try welcome the refugees, which I think it is an important strategy, but not can't be the only one. Um, you've got youth workers, like I said, some of the outreach street teams have done really good work with local young people that would have been on the protests. Um, and then you have others that uh, are, are designing a whole programme of I think, different community events that will include uh, refugees and kind of break down uh, 
some of the fears that exist by bringing local people and refugees together. So it's very hard to fear and to hate someone that you've met and someone that you know about. Uh, so I think that's that, that that's really positive. But one of the things that's been difficult within the coalition because of its composition is this thing of counter-protest, confrontation, reclaiming the streets, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's an almost uh, there's an almost complete consensus against that at the minute, unfortunately. There's not a confidence uh, that we can do it, even though we represent basically all of the different <laughs> voluntary and uh, uh, funded organisations in Badimon. Um, there, there's a fear uh, around around confrontation. Personally, I don't uh, think that confrontation will work as a from a tactical point of view at the minute in Badimon because there is such a uh, mix of people there. I think you'd maybe risk antagonising some people. But as it does dwindle, and it has been dwindling, as it kind of is stripped back to just that core of racists and of organised fascists, uh, I think it needs to be uh, very energetically opposed and countered. They need to be knocked back. They're only, as someone said at the uh, People for Profit MC the other day, and I've been using the quote ever since, they're only as confident as our lack of confidence. They're brimming with confidence at the minute. Uh, they're on a bit of a, a Ted offence of really like launching protests left, right, and center, even when they don't have numbers, um, and uh, very confident that they can that, that, that they can win people to them too. Uh, I think we need to push back against this confrontation. Has to be at the heart of that because uh, the only way they're put back in their box uh, by showing them that we're actually bigger than they are uh, by showing them that their ideas won't go unopposed. Uh, and I guess uh, when you do stuff like that, it's sending quite a powerful message to maybe the silent majority within the community that they are represented, that they are uh, that they are a majority, in fact. Um, and that's something that I think just from those canvases isn't borne out uh, in the real world yet. The majority of people on the doors disagree with what's going on, are anti-racists uh, to some degree. Uh, I think they need to be given voice and it's by protest, sometimes counter-protests, other times protests that are more soft and welcoming or whatever, but it is essential that like there is some physical manifestation that hasn't happened yet in Ballymun and I think it's largely because of the composition of coalition. And I think the important point in terms of these counter-protests is to circle back to your original point that even though they may have 100, 200, 300 people on the street at the time, that is a small, small minority of all of these working class communities. And if you get on the doors, you you realize very quickly just how small that minority is. So mm-hmm. if you aren't showing out, sometimes I think you see the 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 street to them and it makes them look like they have more weight than they yeah. than it actually seems. You watch the live stream, it makes it look like, oh geez, there's loads of people there. In reality there might only be a hundred and if you can mobilize the community, um you could dwarf that very quickly. And that has an effect on, as you said, inspiring people um to get out and get active against this and also um you know pushing back on the idea that that they have the upper hand or that they have the the energy behind them in a very real way like i i think uh, you look at uh Drimna the other day where yeah eventually the canvas was attacked but uh, i heard a story after that like there were a lot of people they went with a petition so they were talking to people on doors and getting them to sign some type of anti-racist petition their statement that also called for investment in housing public service and all the rest so they're marrying that stuff uh, anti-government stuff right to the anti-racism which i think is the exact right approach um 
yeah, uh, there people were saying they're afraid to sign a petition. They're like, yeah, I'm 100% with you, but I won't sign a petition. So there's a lot of, even though it's a small minority, it's a very vocal minority. It's a minority that isn't afraid to use violence. It's a minority that is scaring people. Like it's a minority that showed up to uh, uh, Vincent Jackson, councillor's front door the other night and banged windows. Um, so I, I think the only way that you're going to get people out is by showing that you, there's a counterforce to that. Uh, that. Like there's no, you shouldn't be afraid that there will be people right beside you um, in that in that pushback. Before we move on then to closing up, I thought we should really drill down on that point of government involvement in these coalitions. One, I think it's it's fairly artificial. I mean, Leo Varadkar was only out during the week, um, obviously in response to these protests, but he was saying, oh, Ireland needs to harden its um, security regime and make sure that our ports are secure and that um, migration is, is hardened. And obviously that's a, a bit of a dog whistle or just shows that, um, I mean, they're only fair weather when it comes to involvement yeah. um, in these protests. And when you have people who are genuinely angry at the government uh, and genuinely angry on housing, it doesn't help to have uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael or Green Party representatives speaking under this banner yeah. as if they're not the source of, of all of this frustration. I just think it, it completely disarms your uh, one of your main abilities to take away the arguments of the far right. Yeah, and look, like the approach that the uh, government parties and also, I guess, the more liberal elements sometimes take uh, is one of like condescension. It's condescension uh, directed at working class people who uh, they're like they're, they're horrified by uh, working class protests and the water charges too. And they spoke in similar uh, in a similar tone. I think that's the complete wrong approach and actually risks alienating people further, driving them further into the arms of the far right and of these protests. So I think, yeah, it, it really cannot be uh, um, emphasized enough. They need to be wherever possible excluded from these coalitions. So I think to people. People listening, um, of course, if you're in Ballymun, join Ballymun for all. There's some excellent work being done, and like I think it needs to continue. But there needs to be more than that too. Um, so I think in my own area, I'd be encouraging people to get involved in groups like Dublin OS Against Racism, which is a bit harder on this stuff. I'd be encouraging people to join us in People Before Profit. I think it's very important that we have a, a fighting left organisation like People Before Profit members all across this country over the last two weeks have led an anti-racist fight back. Andrade, uh, you had Gus MacDonald uh, played a central role in mobilising people for a counter-protest that sent the Irish Freedom Party packing. In uh, Cork and Killarney, the same thing. Um, so I think yeah, uh, for to anti-racists that aren't already convinced, I think uh, you need to pick a side. And the only way that we'll fight these people back is by being able to offer an alternative. And that's I build in the fight and left. Uh, people before profit have shown a kind of commitment to anti-racism. I think to, to speak to the already converted though, uh, like people that are on the organized left, whether in people before profit or other organizations, I think you need to take the initiative now, whether there is or isn't a, 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 a set of fields protesting or not, or a center in your area or not, uh, these coalitions should be formed now. And uh, that, that has the advantage of uh, have it there. You can roll it out whenever they do come around and they will come around, I believe. Um, and uh, you can exclude government parties in that way. Um, shouldn't be the only thing you do, though. I think uh, people, we have to much more seriously take, uh, we, we have to take the task of building like the cost of living campaign 
uh, a lot more seriously, task of building a housing movement a lot more seriously. That doesn't just mean uh, having your local stall, doing your leaflet and your canvases. It means actually getting into working class communities and leading on campaigns, like leading protests independently of these big national movements. Um, it means uh, I think there's probably a role for direct action, mass direct action here in communities that that will give people uh, an alternative uh, to, to this sort of stuff. So it means really building the forces of the left and also uh, fighting, organiza- fighting organizations of anti-racism at the exclusion of uh, the right. So that's, they're the steps I think to take now uh, for, for people who are listening. Yep, I couldn't couldn't have said it better at all. So I think we can leave that there. I think we've rounded off um most of the considerations here, Connor. So um if you want to plug anything in terms of um is there any upcoming protests or meetings for any of these groups that you want to put on? One thing that I think will be coming up soon is a United Front anti-racist protest in Dublin. I think the uh, putative date for that is the 11th of every. Uh, it has to be confirmed, but people should stick that in their diaries and help build for it when it comes around. Uh, I think the other things people can do, uh, like I said, build the fighting left, whether that's people before profit or anywhere else. Ideally, people before profit would be what I'd say, um, but also build anti-racist organisations. There's United Against Racism, which people should join. It is a membership organisation. There's always a need for uh, new people there in new areas of the country uh that that that'd be a, a good protocol uh but also these for all groups i think people should go out now and uh found with others these groups in their own communities whether they're far right are or aren't there that would be a uh, crucial to have in the months ahead yeah and i'll leave links to all of them below cheers for joining me thank you